Thank you, Josiah. Thank you, Reagan. What a joy to be in the Lord's house today. Now, if it's been a while since you've gotten to gather live with the church family, you may notice the order of service kind of tweaked a little bit from what you know traditionally. And we moved our singing to the end during this incredible time. And um, this incredible, unprecedented time that we have. It's all right. And we were worried about the kids. We were worried about the kids dropkicking these, but it's all good. Thank you, Craig. It's all good. Thank you, Craig, so much. I'm being serious. It's funny, though. You should have seen if I would have done it. It had been just all over. We've moved our preaching to the beginning, our singing toward the end so we can sing, and then we exit shortly after we sing, and we gather on the at the playground and spend some time together. If you are our first or second time guest today, we have a gift for you when you take that envelope out to the um, fantastic folks that greeted you on your way in. It's just a great little uh, reading for you on this resurrection day that I think will bless you immensely. Take your Bibles and turn to John 20. It's where we're going to be today and spend the bulk of our time. We're going to do some more reading in scripture. I know we've done a lot of reading already, but it's church, you're around a bunch of Christians, and it's Resurrection Sunday. I hope that's a reasonable expectation uh, for each of us. Things are changing. Uh, Things are changing at a rapid pace, and change is fast, and change is deep these days. And I'm sure that stepping into Grace Covenant Church this morning... Uh, for the first time on Resurrection Sunday, this beautiful Easter's Day, may make you question whether or not we're aware that things are changing. In this historic-looking building with the, the pipe organ playing and uh, the liturgy, the way that it feels, we're very much aware that things are changing. And in fact, we are working hard to make sure that when you step in and on the property on a Sunday, it does feel like you are stepping out of the noise and the pace of the world, not to protect yourself or to lock yourself off or hide yourself out from the world, but to remind you that we belong to something else. We're very much aware of the change. So much change seems fluid right now. It's countercultural to even hold to a notion that would claim absolute truth. For you to claim truth is one thing, to say something is absolutely true, and here we are on Sunday morning to claim the absolute truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm I'm sure things are changing. Well, the world that many of us grew up in is gone. Here's a little gut check for many of us. Raise your hand if you're in the room if you're under 18 years old. 18 or under, all right? Wonderful, good to see you this morning. Those folks that raised their hand have probably never licked a postage stamp. For those folks that raised their hand for all of their lives, Princess Diana, notorious B.I.G., didn't think you'd hear that on Easter Sunday here. Jacques Cousteau and Mother Teresa have never been alive in their lifetime. For those that raised their hand, Hong Kong has always been under Chinese control. For those that raise their hand, hybrid cars have always been mass produced, not an experiment. Things are changing. We're like, wait, what? Let me tell you some other cultural changes that hit a little closer to home for the church. Church attendance is now a fringe activity. 25 years ago, that was not the case. 
With few exceptions, almost nobody asks anybody in public anymore, hey, which church do you attend? Because almost nobody attends church regularly. The second change that's happened is that for the church at large, the professing church, should I say, God has become generic. Most Americans identify as Christian statistically, but when they check the box, almost 50% of those that do identify function as post-Christian in their practices and belief. In a post-Christian culture, God is generic and fluid, and he's whatever you define him to be or need him to be in the moment. But the Bible reveals a God that is specific, defined, and personal. So my encouragement to you this morning is if you've ever wanted to be a revolutionary or a part of the fringe of society, you're doing it right now. (laughs) You're a part of the fringe by actively engaging in a gathering to worship the God of this Bible, by gathering online or in person with a community of worshipers. You are being countercultural, probably not because you've set out to be. It's just the reality. But this morning, we've not gathered because the calendar says it's a holiday. We've not gathered for a cultural experience. We've gathered to pray and to sing and to fellowship and to worship and to hear the word of God read and preached. And in so doing, we Christians get equipped to do the work of ministry when we leave the building. That's why we're here this morning. Let's turn our attention back to the word in John chapter number 20. And let's continue reading this incredible passage of the resurrection. I'll pick up in verse 11. Josiah, cover the first 10 verses. If you've got your Bibles, follow along there. The pew Bibles are for your use as well. For those of you online, we'll have the scriptures, I believe, on the bottom of the screen for you. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, can you imagine? She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. 
When he had said these things, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The disciples were there, but one was missing. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, wow, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. We don't do this often. Let's do it right now. Would you read that verse with me out loud? Let's say it one more time together. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Wow. This is the word of the Lord, and the church would say, praise be to God. There are several people mentioned in our text this morning. While our main focus this morning is on Jesus Christ, I do want to highlight a few of the people that you might identify with in this account. We, we saw Mary Magdalene, right? She was one that we saw. We see Peter and John, who are some of the first to respond after she gives that initial report. Two angels. Some of you would like to identify with the angels. We've met your family. You don't. <laughs> um, moving on. Jesus. It'd be great to identify with Jesus. We're going to come back to him, of course. The disciples behind locked doors, hiding in fear. Thomas. Maybe those who would believe that have not yet seen. Hmm. I, I want to draw our attention this morning just to two of these people, Mary and, and Thomas this morning. I don't know there'd be much robust note-taking this morning, which is unusual. I usually work that way through the text, but it's Resurrection Sunday Think about Mary's first encounter. She runs to the tomb. Her initial reaction is despair and confusion. Then she runs back to Peter and John, tells them they take off. I love the way John writes the text, right? He, he writes it so selflessly when he says, I got there first. <laughs> just saying, just in case you didn't notice. I got there first, but Peter went barging in. I waited just to make sure, right? I can't wait to meet John in eternity just for some of those writing cues. The Holy Spirit, let him keep that personality in some of that writing. I love it. Peter rushed in just as you'd expect him to. They discover the linen burial shrouds folded neatly on the place where Jesus laid. 
Then John goes in to see for himself. They see, they believe what they see, but they can't connect it to the scriptures. Remember that? It was at the end of Josiah's reading. They couldn't connect it to the scriptures about him being risen. They return to the other disciples. Mary's standing there weeping at the tomb. She looks back in, sees the two angels, one at the head, one at the feet. The angels say, why are you weeping? She turns around and sees Jesus. Wow. She thinks he's a gardener. He says, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? She's still thinking he is a gardener. Says, did you take him away? Tell me where you took him. He says her name, Mary. I don't know how he said it. Have you read that text before and just wondered how he said it? Like in 2021 with sarcasm almost lacing every single thing that we know as a culture. Like I wonder if he went, Mary. I doubt it was that way. I don't think it was in that way that we would say it to one of our kids or even to ourselves if we missed something so grandiose. But I wonder if he said it tenderly and just went, Mary, knowing that once she heard him speak her name, she wouldn't mistake who he was. She turns and calls him teacher. I'm sure she was ready to lunge at him, which is why he said, whoa, 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 we can't do that now. I've got to go to the Father. What I want you to do is go tell the disciples that I'm going to the Father. I'm going to God to present the blood as the living sacrifice. Mary's first report to the disciples, you recall, was in confusion and dismay. Her second report is with confidence and assurance and precision. She says, I have seen the Lord, and here's what he said. That evening, or tonight, as it were, Jesus would appear to the disciples who were locked in a room. I don't know how we got in. I'm sure books have been written, believe me. When the absence of text, Pastor Darren, Pastor Norm, others will tell you that the absence of precision in Bible text never stops a commentator from writing volumes on what their opinion is on a matter. So I don't know how he got in, but he was in there. The door was locked. That was written for a reason, and he got in. The locked door couldn't keep him out. He gets in there and he says, peace be with you, shows them the scars, and then he commissions them again. If you don't have this verse underlined in this account, I wish you would or draw a star by it. Verse 21, John 20, 21, it says, and Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so now I am sending you. It's John's version of that great commission text. I was sent, you were sent. This body that they, well, not all of them, because they weren't all at the crucifixion, but a couple of them had seen lifeless and breathless. This body that they are struggling to <laughs> just take it all in is now with them and filled with life and breath and is now breathing life onto them and sending them into the mission. And then there's Thomas. I'll close with a recap on this. Thomas is brought up to speed when he was found, and he says, I've got to see for myself. Now, we have beat up on Thomas for as long as I have been a Christian. We actually have a, a little word before Thomas, don't we? What's the descriptor we use for Thomas? Say it with me. Doubting Thomas. And we're like, Thomas, come on. Right? We, we have such great perspective on this side of the text, don't we? Right? We're like, you know, if I would have been there, yeah, we probably, I don't know what I would have done if I would have been there. I'm glad I'm here the Holy Spirit illuminating the text. But I want you to notice something about Thomas. Thomas wasn't holed up in the room hiding from the Jewish mobs. The disciples were. 
They were afraid for their life, afraid that the very thing that had happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. And so they hid and locked the door as if that was going to shut out the outside world. Fear had locked them up. Now we know that Thomas here has some doubts and wants some confirmation, but he's not afraid. He wasn't crippled by fear. He was struggling with his faith, but it was still at the forefront of his mind. On Monday of the following week, Jesus would visit them again, and he invites Thomas to take his finger, to take his hand, and to touch the wounds. Not to disbelieve, but to believe. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Thomas may have been slow to believe, but he was not slow to grasp the implications of Christ's resurrection. Jesus was not only his Lord, but he was his God. The evidence was palpable, it was substantive, and it was clear. Thomas's faith rested on the solid rock. What an account. What an account. John's account is so riveting. Now, there are other pieces to the resurrection story. I encourage you. We've published all this week on Holy Week on our website. We've done publish of all the texts so you could walk with Jesus through Holy Week and all the Gospels covering all those scenes in the order that they happen. We also put some great little short video snippets there from some scholars to help you think through some text uh, things that I think would be amazing for you to watch if you didn't get to see that. All that's there, but I like this account, this John's account. It's quite a riveting account. Jesus rose from the dead. Our precious Lord that hung, bled, and died on a cruel cross for the sins of the world was risen, and he was risen indeed. Let me talk about the cross. I'll come to to a point of application, and then we'll worship the Lord with singing, which our children will lead in just a few moments. Our Lord was crucified. Jesus Christ was crucified. As spikes were driven through his, na- through his hands and through his feet, he was mocked while he was being prepared for this cruel act of to- torture. He was mocked as he was being tortured, and he was mocked until his torture was relieved by death. And then the lights go out. There's darkness all over the whole earth. This darkness was darker than the darkness of night. It's likely the closest thing this earth will ever experience to the dark abyss of the place referred to as Gehenna, Sheol, hell. You have never experienced hell on earth. Sometimes we use that phrase when somebody's really going through a tough time or We say, wow, they've really been through, and we'll use the word hell there to describe something. Our light treatment of that word shows that we have no grasp of the reality of this place. Let me remind you that hell is a real place of eternal torment, inextinguishable flame, and eternal darkness. It's the place where no hope, no peace, and no comfort dwell It's the place not for the rave, for the party of parties, for those who skipped out on church. It is the punishment fit for those who would rebel against the living God that created the heavens and the earth and that sent his only begotten son to die on a cross to absorb his wrath on your behalf. It's the closest this earth has ever come to taste the reality of hell is when God's son was crucified on the cross and the lights went out 
unseen to us but felt by God Himself was the weight of our sin, your sin, my sin. It was so heavy and dark. I read it earlier in Isaiah 53, and the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Then the earth quaked, the temple veil was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, it is finished, and he was dead. He was taken off the cross and buried in a borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose from the dead. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, for I deliver to you that which is of first importance, what I also received. Listen, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What's the big deal? Pastor Chad, Resurrection Sunday, talk about hope and life and dying for love and all of this. Why bring us down and talk about sin? Well, we need to remember as Christians, it's our sins that put him on the cross. Paul would remind us in Romans 3 that we stand justified because of his death on the cross. We know this text, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24 says, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Chapter 4 of Romans, Paul would tell us that he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised to life for our justification. We are justified because of the cross and the empty tomb, so it's kind of a big deal. He is our exalted and resurrected king. First Timothy, the Bible says, we confess that he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. Wow. This morning in our Bible study where we met on campus and uh, we also meet online. We won't tonight. That's kind of a weird plug. We'll pick back up next week. But anyway, um, the adults and the children alike studied John 20. They studied a part of this passage today. And the essential doctrine, part of what we're doing through the Gospel Project as we work through that three-year journey through the text and see the Gospel thread throughout all of Scripture we will cover 99 essential doctrines of the text. The one this morning was Christ's exaltation. I thought it was written beautifully. I put it on the screen for you this morning. You remember it from your lesson, I'm sure. Christ was exalted when God raised him from the dead. Christ was exalted when he ascended to the Father's right hand, and he will be exalted by all creation when he returns. Jesus Christ is the main attraction of our service this morning, of our text this morning. He's the central theme in our worship, and yet there are all these other people in the text. I'm convinced this morning that as you walked into this building on Resurrection Sunday, or you online chose to dial in and pull it up on little screen or big screen, however you're watching, for some of you, as we read through this moving account, somebody was singing your song. Maybe Mary was singing your song. You may not admit to it to those around you, but it seems like the relationships that you care most about are slipping away or gone. You're confused, in a bit of despair, because you seem to have no information and little control over so much in your life right now. 
there's a stone of despair covering your heart. Perhaps like the disciples, you are paralyzed with fear. If you could, you would hide yourself away in a room to cut off the outside world and stay away from what is a clear and present danger. There's a stone of fear covering your mind today. Maybe you're not crippled with fear. You can walk with your head held high around your home and on the job and even at church this morning, but like Thomas, your faith is shaken at its core. You're not about to throw in the towel, but you sure could use some encouragement from the Lord today. Thomas has your number. (laughs) There's a stone of doubt covering your faith today. I'm also keenly aware in our gathering today that even those watching online, that some of you are ready to jump and go. If the Lord said, let's move to India, you're like, I'm plane ticket, bought. I'm ready to go, right? You are ready. You are champing at the bit to get out and go and do. Peter and John would be two members of your evangelistic outreach team. Like you're ready to just storm the gates of hell itself for the kingdom of God. You, you want to check things out for yourself. You are built for mobility and action. You're a doer. You're just waiting on something to happen before you take a leap of faith. And you're just wondering, is it ever going to happen? The stone that seals your heart this morning needs to be rolled away by the resurrected king. Mary's stone of despair and confusion, the psalmist would say, why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil? Hope in God. Not a generic God, but this specific, revealed, resurrected king. The disciples' stone of fear, Jesus would say, and he said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Thomas's stone of doubt, John 14, 1, he says to Thomas, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Only a resurrected king has the authority to give that kind of peace. Well, probably most of us this morning would identify with one or more of these people, but the reality is we're not Mary, we're not Thomas, we're not the disciples, we're not Peter or John, you're not angels. Reject. But we were in the text. Did you know that? You were in the text this morning. Normally we call that eisegesis, reading ourselves into the text, but actually you're there. If you look at where Jesus is talking to Thomas in verse 29, he says, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, maybe you're there. Have you believed? I don't mean Christianity, survey box checking, sure, I believe Jesus is real, kind of believe. I'm asking you if your belief in Jesus began with your agreeing with God about your sin and your need for a Savior. That's called confession. I'm asking you, have you asked the Lord to take over and to rule and reign in your life? Has your belief affected your behavior or just your Sunday morning itinerary? The Bible has something to say to you this morning. In Romans 10, the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. The word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes 
and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a promise. I can't replicate Mary's experience this morning. I can't have Jesus robed in flesh and standing beside of me among us today. He isn't here in that way. He, He won't force air through his lungs across the vocal cords in his fleshy body to verbally and audibly call your name this morning. But I believe his spirit will. I believe he's done that through the text today. Like Mary, you may have come today to encounter a generic God or misread what God is. You may mistake God for something else. But he isn't a generic God. He isn't here to fix your financial problem or endorse your current mission or to go along with your plan. He is here. His voice and his word are calling you to place your trust in Christ. This fringe group of outliers were used by God to turn the world upside down, but not a generic God with a generic act for a generic people. No. This is the God of the Bible, the creator of the universe, who so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to the cross for the sins of the world to rise on the third day so that we might not perish but have everlasting life. I'm going to ask Julia to come now, and she's going to play, and we're going to have a moment just to respond before the singers sing and we all come up. I don't want to rush this moment. I want to give you a moment to respond to the text. Christianity this morning is true. It is absolutely true, and it is totally countercultural for me to make such a claim today. But it's true not because it works for the people in that pragmatic, utilitarian kind of way, But because nearly 2,000 years ago, outside the center city of Jerusalem, the Son of God was crucified for our sins and raised for our justification. This historical event may not fix our marriages, our relationships, or our messed up lives in the way we would like it to, in the timing we would like it to. But it does save us from the wrath of God to come. He's calling you this morning. Will you call on him? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. What kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Take a moment. Call on that name.
Father, we love you this morning and thank you for your word. Help us to believe. Roll away the stones in our lives that would keep us from being about your work, your way, so that you get all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. We're going to sing now. I'll have you stand in a moment. I want the kids to come up first. Now, we sent out some music in advance. All the kids that are ready to sing.